thing. Okay. Um, alrighty. So, Haribo. Um, so yeah, how are things? Is there anything you like to share before answering the questions? No, your connection's a little. Hello? Okay, now I can hear you. You were kind of frozen for a second. I mean, yeah, you're not frozen now. Summertime. What is it? Yeah, it's summertime now. <laughs> I don't know uh, how good of a connection I have here, but it's working now. So let's go ahead and take the questions. Okay. Um, Bhakti Shakti. Bhakti Shakti. Pranam's Guru Maharaj. Um, do you hear me now? Yes. Oh, thank you. Um, I would like to ask uh, some. Uh, recently, I was uh, going through different shlokas of Bhagavad Gita memorizing, and somehow um, I was skipping skipping the part which is about the demons, those who are not devoted, and I was more memorizing those about the devotees. But at some point, I noticed that. Uh, it is very like uh, healing and uh, seeing my problems when I memorize um, shlokas which are about uh, the demonic nature. <laughs> and uh, where should we fix our mind? Like, uh, is it more uh, valuable to concentrate on our like devotional propensity or on the demonic one? is with the idea to remove the obstacles shall we like uh, fix ourselves more on that because it was somehow helpful for, for me if you don't if you understand yeah i think i understand of course that's the earlier uh, stages of devotion we want to remove the uh anarthas and attachments and uh, demonic tendencies that we might find within ourselves, which devotees tend to magnify which is a good qualifier good quality of, of, of their own. Uh, and then as they advance, um, even the smallest uh, um, problem or bad quality, demonic quality, if you could call it, that would be magnified by a devotee um, in his or her own mind. But at any rate, um, removing them in the context of bhakti is different than the approach in jnana or in yoga and so forth. So it's a positive approach. Sometimes the example that probably would give was that if you took a jar of ink and you pour milk into the, into the jar and you keep pouring the milk and pouring the milk directly, the ink will come out and eventually only milk will come out. So the implication of that is that by focusing on the positive, the negative will go away. Now you can focus on the positive in relation to the negative. Hmm? In other words, you could just focus on the positive and not think about the negative, but as you're saying, thinking about the negative sometimes is helpful hmm? to you, right? So you could think about the positive in the context of removing the negative. 
with, with a focus on both. Hmm? So you can contemplate the negative and then um, um, Bhakti Vinod, for example, um, suggested that identifying demonic qualities within ourselves that could be also seen to be possessed in Braj, in Brajalila by the henchmen of Kamsa hmm, um, or others um, can be easily done away with or removed by meditating on the Leelas in which Krishna or Balaram did away with those, um, excuse me, demonic um, elements and influences. So that's an example of a positive meditation that is simultaneously focusing on the negative. Hmm? And um, uh, we, it, it has, of course, a double you know, effect of uh, developing sharanagati, rakshikshati, divishvashvodas is, is a, an aspect of sharanagati to think of Krishna as my protector. So I'm being ravaged by these demonic qualities that are getting in the way of my path and, 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 and so forth. So they are, can be likened, as I say, to the uh, um, the henchmen of, uh, of, 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 of Kamsa or other demonic influences that we find in the Prakat Leela. The Prakat Leela, the manifest Leela, is a combination of the material and the spiritual because the spiritual is fully there, but it's interacting with material elements. Mm -hmm. um, so that Prakat Leela is like our Sadaka Deha. Sometimes the comparison is made because our practice is spiritual, but there are material elements still or demonic elements, as you may want to think of them, um, that need to be uh, re removed still. So um, um, thinking of Krishna as my protector, hmm, as for example, of course, these leelas are very relative to Sakurasa, a lot of them, because they were experienced directly by the, by the gopas, not all of them. Indra was not a henchman of Kamsa, but he came and, and, and caused trouble for the whole of Braj and everybody took shelter of Krishna, right? As their maintainer and as their protector. These are the prominent central uh, focuses of Sharanagati. Hmm? Um, but uh, uh, um, but the Gopas in particular had many opportunities to see Krishna's heroism, right? Hmm? <laughs> so um, this is a very uh, to be to be preoccupied in this way with the Prajalila, and not so much, perhaps, in the beginning stage to try to enter there although that's my ideal, but to do the things that are necessary so that I can enter there to pull up the anchor that I might sail to across the, to the other side, so to speak, but to take help from the other side to, to do that difficult task of uh, 
detaching myself and um, and um, removing uh, any um, inauspicious elements, disposition, uh, demonic tendencies, and, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So in that type of um, approach, if you will, we are cultivating Sharanagati and, and, and a desire to an identification with the Leela hmm? and so forth. So it's very strong bhakti samskara is gonna come from that. And in doing it that way, uh, uh, we can bring about readily the removal of the demonic qualities at the same time. So I would suggest something like that, not that you ignore those verses and you find that they, they are pertinent because they maybe speak about things that you that um, you find it in, in, in yourself. And so, I mean, you know, if you're going to clean your heart, it's good to know what's there, what needs to be removed and so forth. But then our ability to remove them is very, is very limited. They're reinforced by our previous uh, karma, material samskars and so forth. So their their habits hmm, and uh, difficult difficult to overcome. That they 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 express themselves almost like a staivav involuntarily, <laughs> take 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 over, hmm. and only after it's they finished playing themselves out, we we think, why did I do that? You're not doing it, but that the machine of the body and based on driven by material samskaras is, is functioning in that way. it has a trajectory it has some momentum hmm? so it's it's difficult to to stop it hmm? right but um if we rely on the name in the name also the name is not different from christian the name is different not different than the name but he's more merciful than the than the than than the named uh, he appears in the Leela in the ways in which I'm mentioning killing Agasura, Bakasura, uh, Keshi Demon, and Ristasura, and so on and so forth. So he has all, all power, certainly. He can, uh, if I allow him into my heart even a little bit, he can take over and remove these demonic qualities, which, you know, it's a good idea to be aware of them, think about them contemplate them and so forth but if we just contemplate them that'll be a little bit, a bit depressing <laughs> and and then if we think that we'll overcome them on the strength of just um hearing about them identifying with the fact that some of them are within me just by the strength of intellect very difficult to overcome them but Krishna's, it's, it's, it makes the intellect very seem very weak in comparison to his strength and ability and his and ability of Ram, Ram, Kijai. So I would suggest something like, like that. Does that help? Yes, thank you. I like very much this that yeah, we take shelter of Krishna that he saves us in form of his name and yeah. And probably we meditate on our guru as well to take shelter, like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And you can study the demons of Braj too. And, you know, I mean, there are different ways in which they can be looked at in terms of, you could find qualities of your own within them. And uh, so, you know, that sometimes it's good. It's like sometimes um, people criticize you or they say something about you that's not very charitable. Um, you can think, you know, well, maybe there's something there, even though no one else would agree. They say, oh, that person's just envious. So you might think something's there. You can take his picture and put it on your, on your desk. And thank him for reminding you of that that quality. And or if he's that's another thing you the way, the way to do a way to protect yourself from bad qualities is that when you see them in others, then you pay obeisances to those others for illuminating how not to be, how unappealing it is when I when I'm on the receiving end of someone else expressing their bad qualities. I know how it feels. It doesn't feel good. So we, we thank them. We, we worship them for showing us how not to be. That's an extended idea. So it's very much the, the um, approach of bhakti. Um, very much is a, it's, it's a positive way of dealing with the negative, if you will. Okay. Thank you. Hey. Um, so one of the Spanish-speaking devotees um, had a question, um, mm-hmm. but it's in the chat. Shamsundar um, translated it. So, Vrajhari, okay. uh, you just scroll all the way to the top, and then you should see it, or at least I can see it. Um, but yeah, I'll read it. So it says, Pranam, is it possible for you to share some existential ideas that may help me understand and explain the personal aspect of Godhead uh, is reasonable, personal aspect of Godhead is is reasonable and necessary for the divine? Uh Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, there's some different ways to think about that. And um, there are certainly things about ourselves as persons that we find valuable. Of course, we're limited but limitations are not necessarily um, a feature or a quality that is inherent in personality. Hmm? So sometimes we may think of the limitations of persons like ourselves and those whom we interact with, and then think logically that God must be beyond the imperfections of 
of all the persons I know, including myself. Therefore, God must not be a person. Hmm? But as I'm saying, limitations we all have. That's true. We all pass away. And our personalities are a uh, you know, product of our interactions and so on and so forth. Um, but inherently, again, my point is, there's nothing about personality that necessitates it be temporal, it be subject to the limitations that we experience. So it's not our personality, if you will, our feelings, our emotions, hmm? um, our sense of self, hmm? I am. Am I am, am I just, is it just I am or I am something? I am like this and I am not like that. When we talk about it in that way, obviously we're developing a, an, an individual uh, personality. Hmm? So there's nothing inherently within the concept of a, of a personality, a, a being hmm? with feelings, or what to speak of an all loving being. There's nothing inherently in that concept which, which mandates that that would be a, a limited being. Hmm? Yes, we're limited in so many ways, but it's not because we have a personality that we're limited. Hmm? We may have a, we may, let's say, we may say, okay, I have a personality based on my attachments and and um, and I can't keep anything I have, so my personality is going to disappear. Therefore, it, it, it's it's limited. But there's every reason to think that well, just be, by not having material attachments, but having spiritual attachments, you could have a spiritual um, personality. So that's uh, one way to think about it. Another way to think about reasonably, I think, is what you're asking, but rationally, about the idea of the Godhead being a personality of course, is, um, is that he's a, he's a transpersonal. Uh, we, we, we look at Krishna as a transpersonal person. That means he transcends the kind of personhood that we experience um, within the material world, which is, again, it, it, it is, is limited. Um, the, uh, there is a, a famous, uh, I forget his name right now, uh, biologist, I think he was, who years ago, developed a uh, thesis called Gaia. Gaia, I think, is the Greek name for the goddess uh, presiding over the earth or uh, is the earth. So the Gaia uh, principle was one in his um, thinking, was his idea that posited that the earth itself was an organism hmm? And we were all just parts of that organism as everything else is. So we tend to see ourselves as separate and not only separate, but the center, which is very, you know, kind of counterintuitive. We're not the center, we just think a little bit about it. Um, so this is kind of an environmental, you know, 
kind of perspective. I'm part of the earth. I'm part of the functions of this organism that is the earth, the wonderful green, you know, greenish blue planet. Hmm? I'm part of that. This was his uh, thesis. It became um, popular. Originally, it was a it was a, a thesis that um, also posited um, meaning and purpose. But the modern uh, materialism in the academy didn't appreciate that, so he took that out, <laughs> unfortunately. But at any rate. Um, if you, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. It's a kind of a Buddhist, goes in a kind of a Buddhist direction, if you will, but the earth is, a, is, 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 is an organism. So I like to extend that idea and say that reality is a person. Reality is a person. It's just not us. We're not that person. We're, we are and we aren't. We are and that we're a Shakti of it, we, that person. We're part of that person. Hmm? Um, but there's nothing, uh, I think, illogical in, in, in that idea that the, it's a pan, of course, ours is a panentheistic idea, the idea that, that everything is in God. When we say that everything is in God, it includes the fact that God is outside of everything hmm, as well. Um, so it's a way of looking at uh, everything um, as, as, as divine, in a sense, including ourselves. Um, to go further with, with um, reasoning as to uh, why or how God could be a being, hmm? a, a person, um, I like to think of it um, in connection with the idea of loving. So I think it's pretty reasonable to conclude that we are all living for love, hmm? that giving is the receiving, hmm? less is more, hmm? um, and not taking is part of loving. Taking is, is the karmic world. To take, then I owe. So if I stop taking, that's part of loving, but it's not the whole thing. If I stop taking, I will have peace. Hmm? I don't have peace because I'm taking, and the result of my taking or exploiting is that I owe. I've identified with the body. The body has needs. So I'm taking, but with everything I take, I owe. So I can't be peaceful. As long as I'm in debt, how can I be peaceful? Hmm? So if I stop taking, I can come to peace. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. This is the Gyanmarg, Yoga Marg is also often um, in pursuit of peace. But why not be in pursuit of love? Hmm? Peace is also found in love, but it's found in a very, in a, in, a, in a dynamic way. We move in this world in search really of love. And when we find it, um, we don't stop moving. Now there's another 
trajectory, another movement. And it's full of ups and downs. It has union, it has separation, Vipralamba, Samboga. Um, but it's like a roller coaster ride, but nobody wants to get off, even though it looks like you might fly off and, and you're hanging on for dear life, but it's exciting. Hmm? So love has, a, has peace in a dynamic sense, but peace without love that involves just not taking is, is, is peace in a static sense. Let's say I go to a beautiful, placid, uh, beautiful lake hmm, in the forest and just peaceful, right? And then if you throw a stone in it in one place, a stone in another place, and a stone in another place, it's going to cause ripples and they're all going to be interfering with one another. So the peace will be gone. Hmm? But if we take those same stones and we throw each of them in the exact same place, it will cause ripples, but they will be concentric. Hmm? Now they'll, in that peaceful lake, there will be movement, but the movement is harmonious. So here are the ripples um, I'm comparing to love, hmm? augmenting the peaceful mind stilling uh, lake. Hmm? So if we value love over peace, hmm? which is not at the cost of peace, but has peace plus, so to speak. Hmm? After all, do you just want peace or do you want to interact with other countries? You want to be at peace with, uh, with uh, another country? That's it. Okay, we've got a truce, we have peace, but what about actual commerce, interacting, so forth? So if we, if we conclude that, that the search Hmm. that we're all involved in is a search for love, hmm. love, beauty, charm. Hmm. But in a way that will bring about peace at the same time, hmm. then we have to have a understanding of the absolute, the Godhead, an understanding of enlightenment that's going to involve some interaction between ourselves and our source, between ourselves on the circumference and the center, because love is a kind of movement, hmm? right? Karma is a kind of movement, but it's a movement that has a negative, negative repercussions. Hmm? And if we do karma, therefore we can't have gyan. If we're involved in, 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 in taking, um, that's ignorance, thinking that the, the temporary things will, will bring me happiness. They won't, that's ignorance. So you can't have ignorance and knowledge at the same time. So if you give up taking based on the knowledge of the temporal nature of all things in the world, hmm, then you can have peace. But in that peace, there'll be no movement, right? Karma is movement, knowledge is stillness. Hmm? Bhakti is movement and stillness. Hmm? Material world runs on the two tracks of taking and giving up, exploiting and renunciation, jnana and karma. These are the two tracks on which the world runs. Hmm? That's all about the world. 
I pursue things in the world. I try to take them. They, 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 they frustrate me. I give them up. Hmm? Karma and Gyan. These are the influences of Rajas and Sattva in this world. They're not transcendental. Hmm? So the transcendental ideal must be something else. Hmm? That's the idea of bhakti. It's nirguna. And it, unlike Gyan, it has movement. And unlike karma, it has knowledge and peace. Hmm? So bhakti is more wholesome. Hmm? It's the whole picture. Hmm? It's how to have movement and knowledge at the same time. Hmm? Have gyan and karma, so to speak, well, movement and knowledge. Peace and movement at the same time. So if we can appreciate the nature of love and identify it as worthy of pursuit and conclude the transcendence must be more than just being. We could love to exist. That's a gyan mark. I am, I am. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Or I could exist to love. That's bhakti. So you tell me which is better, to love to exist or to exist to love? Anybody's going to say to exist with, to, to love is a higher idea. Hmm? exist for loving so loving means there must be movement in transcendence so if there's movement in transcendence that's what we call lila in brahma sauja merging with brahman there's no movement there god is everywhere god knows everything how can he move if you know everything well why would you move if you're everywhere, how can you move? But by the influence of bhakti, Krishna's sarup shakti, love, he who is everywhere and knows everything is moving and doesn't know what to do next. He needs Subal's help. How can I meet with Radha? How is it possible at this time of day? Hmm? Make it, you have to make an arrangement. Hmm? This is what the power of love, what it can do to the absolute. Hmm? It causes he who is everywhere and knows everything to move and enter into a kind of an unknowing, a transcendental unknowing. But the point here is that if love is the ideal, then there must be movement in transcendence. And that movement in transcendence, it may be similar in appearance to karma, but it's entirely different because there's no self selfishness found in it. Movement in, within karma is selfish. Take out the selfishness and everyone moving only for the center, that's what we call lila. It's play. One who knows everything and is everywhere might be bored. So what will you do if you're bored? Then you play. So God plays. That's called Leela. 
We also know that we ourselves as Atmas, theoretically being cognitive, being aware, chit, we're superior to that which is achit, matter. Hmm? Matter is what's out there and we're what's inside asking about what's out there. What's out there and who's asking the question? Hmm? These are the real questions of life. So the one who's asking the question is superior to um, that which he's asking about, which is uh, out there, so to speak, which is asking about himself as well. But, but the, the, um, the self, the Atma, hmm, is um, superior to matter, but at the same time, we find it's overwhelmed by matter. I've given an example before. What's more important, the television or the viewer? Well, the viewer, the television has no meaning without the viewer. The, tele the viewer has to turn it on. But if you turn it on, the television might take over your life. It's possible. Hmm? So the machine of material nature has taken over our life, but in Apparently, we're superior to, to matter. But the fact that it's able to take us over says something to us. We may be chit, but we're small. Hmm? God would not be subject to illusion. Hmm? Why are we in this condition? So that there, there's something about us that's wonderful, but there's something about us also that makes us prone to this this, this situation. Hmm? So that indicates that we, we're not the whole. Hmm? If we're not the whole, we're the part. That means we have a relationship with the, with the whole. Hmm? And sorting that out, so to speak, this is what bhakti sadhana is. Then you enter into a relationship with the whole. So there's movement and transcendence, interaction between the our, the source and ourself, the center and, and ourself, the whole and the part. Hmm? Okay. Now, what's the nature of that interaction? Well, if it's loving, then there has to be, there have to be feelings. Hmm? And, and for loving, the more you know about someone who you love, the more possibility there is for love. Oh, I found this about her. I found that about her too. I found this about him. I didn't know that. Look at the bottom of his feet. Oh my God. <laughs> That's cool too. So, so the specificity with which our texts speak about Krishna, talk about him, these details and so forth, they might be seen as a limitation, a cultural limitation or so forth, but they may also be seen as details about the absolute that um, make the absolute more lovable. When Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita saw the whole world as Krishna, that was wonderful, but it was not as lovable. Hmm? More the specificity, hmm? the more the potential for loving. Hmm? So, so I think if, the, if, you, if you think that the ideal is love and love is movement, and uh, constitutes and transcendence and interaction between the part and the whole, hmm? 
the nature of that interaction, you know, in a word could be trans, trans uh, psychological, trans emotional. Hmm? Um, we are said to be tatasta. That means we are of the nature of adaptability. We can adapt to the material world. We can adapt to the spiritual world. But our adaptation to the material world, the Maya Shakti, is frustrating. Nonetheless, when we adapt to the environment of the Maya Shakti, what happens to us? We're an Atma. What happens when we adapt to the material environment? Well, we become attached to different things and we develop a, a personality, hmm? right? So now what if we adapt to the Sarup Shakti, the internal energy of Krishna? That's what, what's making the world of the Godhead go around, making, the, making transcendence variegated, making it, make, uh, causing movement there. Hmm? That movement being, as I say, necessary for love. Hmm? then just as our attachment and interaction with the Maya Shakti results in a material personality, our interaction with the Sarup Shakti will result in a spiritual personality, spiritual emotions. Why not? <laughs> Here we are, we're an Atma, we're Chitkana, a particle of Chit. We're interacting with the Maya Shakti and the result is the personality is coming out of it. Now we're going to interact with the Sarup Shakti, why would the result be different? Hmm? What would it be that would be more? A non-person? Hmm? Is a non-person more than a person? <laughs> Not necessarily. So these are some thoughts um, as to um, um, why, if you will, or how it is that, that God could be a person. I mean, it's, it's obviously, as I said, a transpersonal person. He transcends the, the limits of our own uh, experience as persons, um, but he's not subjected to those at the same time. And, you know, I mean, there's a broader idea of God. Brahman is also God. Paramatma, the witness, doesn't have much of a personality, is also God. Krishna, again, is becoming more personal. Like, you know, if you go, the material world is constrained, right? It's limited. If you, go, if you go from the physical to the mental, there's more space. From the mental to the intellectual, there's more space. In other words, if I asked you, can you carry everything in this room and take it out? You'd say, no. I said, well, you know, you got to do it. They said, well, I could do it in my mind. Okay. You can't carry everything physically in one, one trip. But in your mind, you could take everything. So the mind, there's more possibilities. There's more room there. Intellect is even more spacious than, than mind. Hmm? With intellect, we can think about thoughts and make more of them hmm? and so forth. Hmm? So, and above intellect is Atma. Above the Atma, which is beyond time and space, is Brahman the all-pervasive. Hmm? If we go from Brahman to Vaikuntha, uh-oh, it looks like we're getting smaller, not bigger. Now there are planets, forms, and so forth. But the, the growth there is in terms of feeling. 
in Brahman, there's no scope for feeling, for loving. But, but in, in a Vaikuntha, there's room for loving. We go to Goloka, it becomes even smaller. Right? Krishna seems more, seems more limited in, in, in a sense. But Goloka is even bigger than, than, than Vaikuntha because there's even more feeling there, more possibility for loving. The more possibility there is for love, the bigger, the more spacious it becomes. So if you love someone, you can live under, under a tree with them, under a rock with them, in the hollow of a tree. Hmm? Love is all accommodating. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu lived in a small room, six by eight by eight, stone room with no windows. Hmm? That's in Puri. He lived there. Hmm? And his, his love came out from there. Hmm? So, actually, the personhood of Krishna, Goloka, is the most broad, the most spacious. Hmm? Makes Brahman look small and cramped comparatively, what to speak of material world. So these are some thoughts. I hope it's helpful. Long answer, but you said there weren't too many questions. So I thought I'd... Um, yeah, no. Yeah, there, were, there, there weren't that many. Um, but now there's some. Okay. Um, so the other one. Um, so Sean Das asked, Oh, dude, okay. Um, Wait a minute, before you go into that, I see, I see an English one here from Martin. Martin says, what about giving and reaching, and giving and receiving in spiritual terms? We'll always be in debt, right? Our giving can equal the mercy we are receiving, you say it can't, you want to say it can't. Well, actually, Krishna feels indebted to his devotees. <laughs> this is Krishna. He eternally feels indebted to the love of his devotees. So it's, it's mutual. It's a little bit different than the experience in the material world. To give a short answer there. Hmm? Okay, um, from the Latin community, Sean, what are the questions? Mm. 
So uh, I think this is um, an Arisan, you know, perspective. These are devotees in Arisa, and um, and uh, they were um, residing in Puri, seeking Mahiti. At any rate, it's a it's a perspective in 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 Jagannath Puri. Um, there are, first of all, there are statements like this about different devotees. This is the best devotee. These were the best devotees. Shiva's the best Vaishnava, and so forth. Um, once I recited the Pranam mantra that was written by uh, Govinda Maharaj and approved by Sridhar Maharaj, Pranam, Pranam mantras for Prabhupada, uh, no, excuse me, uh, I recited the Pranam mantra for, for Sridhar Maharaj. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says, you know, uh, Saraswatanam Varam, the best of the disciples of Saraswati Thakur. And this god brother of mine who was a disciple of Prabhupada complained, how could, I, I, can't, I can't tolerate that, but he's the best. Mm -hmm. Prabhupada was the best. I said, well, here's the other, here's the Pranam written by Govinda Maharaj and approved by Sridhar Maharaj, it says the Prabhupada was the best. <laughs> so what, you know, so I think there are a lot of statements like who's best and, and, and they're all best. Um, the exact details of, you know, well, why Krishna is saying that in Puri is it must have been something on his mind that um, caused him to feel that way. I, I think that Sarup Damodar and Ramananda Roy um, uh, if those two are included, it's, it's a little bit more obvious. Mm -hmm. They were with him in the end. Um, they are compared to Lalita Vishako or Lalita and, and Subal. Krishna compares him to Subal, Ramananda Roy, and how he catered to Krishna and his uh, separation from Radha and so forth. Uh, Seeking Mahiti, uh, why he's included in there, I can't say. But the, the larger question that people ask is why is his, his uh, sister only a half? <laughs> so uh, I think that's just a cultural, um, you know, consideration, um, and and the fact that in, as in in the um, practitioner's body of a woman, she couldn't get as close to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu personally hmm, because of the etiquette of sannyas and so forth. So she was limited in, the, in that way. Hmm. But at the same time. As you have pointed out, the questioner has pointed out, um, she has been identified in her Brajalila form as um, a friend of a gopi friend of Radha. Hmm? Um, and the gopi friends of Radha get closer to Krishna than anybody hmm? um, because that's the whole. We look at it in terms of Manjari Bob, that's the whole idea, the math of it, if you will. Hmm? Radha is most dear to Krishna, and those who endear themselves to Radha by extension hmm, become most dear to him. Hmm. How can he become more dear to Krishna? Hmm. So she's pretty dear. <laughs> uh, doesn't get any more dear than that. But the half part is only relative to, as they say, the cultural circumstances and the way the Leela plays out for um, 
in the in 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 the sadaka day in Gorlila. In Gorlila, all these siddhas are playing the role of sadakas. So Nadia, for example, is called Sadhana Siddha. Uh, sadaka Siddha Bhumi, that place where Sadakas, that land Bhumi where Sadakas are playing the role of, or excuse me, Siddhas are playing the role of Sadakas. So in the Sadaka um, role, in the drama of Gorlila, then especially after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas, if you were a lady devotee, there would be some limitations in how close you could, you could get to him. That's all that it refers to. So, Sikimahiti's sister, Tijai. And I see there's another question from Jivesh. Okay. I think that um, I've written something about this. I just look it up here. I will refer to it here as I, I speak to you. That the Hindu rishis, as you say, they were uh, perhaps the first to articulate cyclical time. And um, Uh, there, that would cause them to conceive of time in the cyclical in nature was not merely the observance of the cycling of the seasons, the coming and going of the day and night, uh, which influenced other ancient cultures uh, to think of time as cyclical. cyclical hmm? um, uh, but rather, uh, the rishis, they conceived of time as uh, cyclical because they felt that they had located a center around which they observed all things were moving. And that center was themselves, the Atma. So it was an Atma-centric um, perspective. So it was a perspective on nature which does have cyclical movements and so forth, which could lead us to think maybe time is cyclical, but based on uh, observance of nature from the perspective of the Atma. And it was rather than a, a geocentric or a, um, what would you call solar centric perspective? It was an Atma centric and a Paramatma centric uh, perspective. So they saw the world moving around, coming and going, around the Atman. Um, and so you, 
So to look at it, you know, in, in, yes, in, in modern um, history, beginning in Europe with the scientific revolution and so forth, the idea of linear time replaced the idea of cyclical time to some extent, but um, that is changing even now. So despite the West's uh, long uh, Christian-based uh, scientific flirtation, I could say, with linear time, today there are at least three main theories that, uh, well, there are three main theories, I'd say, that concern physics. There's classical physics, relativity, and quantum physics. And arguably, all, subtly, all of them subtly point to cyclical time, even as the idea of linear time remains a practical one by which we accomplish things. So Euclidean mathematics may have utility, but the question is, is it real? No one has ever observed a straight line in nature. No one on earth, which is a sphere that we all call home has ever observed a straight line in nature. Thus, the narrow, the arrow, I should say, the arrow of linear time finds itself surrounded by cyclical time. And notions of cyclical time predate those of linear time, the Puranas, the, the, the Rishi's perspective. Notions of cyclical time also appear within a period where people thought of linear time. So Nietzsche, the philosopher, also spoke of cyclical time. And after, now in the quantum theory also, there are uh, theoretical physicists, physicists who have come to think of the universe, for example, as coming and going, expanding and contracting in cycles. So uh, cyclical time is found there. Uh, we have the idea that history re repeats itself. Maybe it doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, it's similar, um, and so forth. Um, if you, uh, you say it's hard to wrap your head around cyclical time, well, if you just draw a line, that doesn't make your mind peaceful. But if you draw a circle, it has a beginning and an end and a beginning and a beginning and an end. And it, it, it actually brings peace to the mind, a sense of completion. If you ask the proverbial question, which comes first, the seed or the tree? If you look at it from a this perspective of linear time, you can't answer the question. If you look at it from the point of view of cyclical time, which comes first, the seed or the tree? You can get the answer, both. That's the answer. Hmm? So this is meant to take us beyond the limits 
of our, you know, thinking. We think that things have a beginning, they have to have an end. We're taught we have no beginning. We have no end. The world has no beginning. The world has no end. It, it comes and goes in cycles and those have no, be, no beginning. So I think that the idea of um, cyclical time is, is very, um, is very um, it's well thought out and it's, it's very, uh, it's good for the mind. It's again, a circle has a pattern and exhibits rhythm and order, whereas a line has none of these characteristics. While a line may be accidental or random, the circle always displays rationality and purpose. Uh, in the process of nature, if the process of nature is to be defined, it must have a pattern. A series of changes that has no beginning and no end and no purpose is patternless. Any particular point in a line either stands by itself or stands in relation to its past. If it stands by itself, it can't be defined owing to its being unrelated. You can't define something unless you can relate it to something else. And if it stands in relation to its entire past, it also can't be defined because the entirety of its past is ultimately untraceable. I mean, that, that's a headful there, but uh, in contrast, the process of nature is again, is, is cyclical. Every point on the circle is part of a coherent system and thus is rationally understandable. The problem of infinite regress need not trouble us either when we're conceiving of the world order is cyclical from the yoga perspective because the logical fallacy of infinite regress occurs when understanding any number of a series is dependent on knowledge of its antecedent. However, if the process of nature is conceived of as cyclical, then every member of the series is understandable in light of the entire process, which is complete and consistent within itself. So the Upanishads, they posit a cyclical universe that, hold on, posit a cyclical universe that extends or expands and contracts, followed by another expanding and contracting universe ad infinitum. Hmm? But each cycle is complete in itself and its complete understanding is not dependent on knowledge of the previous cycle. So these are some thoughts on cyclical, cyclical time. It's not an outdated idea. Um, it shows up even in Western philosophy and in, in modern, modern science. So with that, I think um, we have run out of time. I hope that uh, that uh, give you some, something to think about there. Make your head spin, go around and around. Hmm? So thank you all for your questions and I hope to be with you again next week.
Thank you. Jai Hari. Jai. Radhe. Um, before everyone goes, I have some announcements. Um, so one of them is, so today at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time, so you could just figure out when that is for you. That would be in three hours for you, actually, I think. Um, right, if I'm doing my math right. Padmanabha Swami is going to give a class on this channel um, about Ramananda Roy. Um, yeah, so just that, so that's at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time on this same channel. Um, so you'd use the same code and everything. Um, and then, so I'm just going to, I guess I'll be announcing, yeah, thank you for putting that in the chat. That's helpful. Oh, okay, Eastern Daylight Time. Sorry, thank you, Asha Maharaj. I get all the times mixed up. So wait, yeah, right, okay, daylight, that's a good, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so I'm gonna announce the classes for June, I suppose. I think that's what's going to happen, right? We're gonna, we're transitioning into June classes. Um, okay, so on Monday, uh, Pavanabha Swami is continuing his classes on the Brahmara Gita, the Song of the Bumblebee. And I think this is, uh, and then on Tuesday, um, Agni Dave is going to be giving classes on Gaudiya Kirtan, grasping the essence of devotional hymns. And then on Wednesday, um, Dulal is giving classes on Krishna Sandarbha. And then on Thursdays, um, Archana is continuing her interviews um, with modern day sages, the beauty and messiness of Asadika's journey. Um, and then on Friday, um, Madan Mohandas is giving classes, uh, refining our desire, selected topics from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. And then on Saturday, Chitta is giving classes, uh, Madhavendra Puri and the qualities of the devotee. And then Sundays we're back here doing the same thing. Did anyone have any questions um, about what's happening today? I saw some devotees looking kind of confused. Maybe because I didn't, I don't understand how to like say time correctly. Um, no one, anyone, is everyone, is, is it clear to everyone? Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. Well, I will see you all. Thank you. Haribo.